Welcome to Unashamed and Afraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming to Christ for you. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Stephen. And I'm your co-host, Cassie. And we are Unashamed and Afraid. What's Welcome up? back to the saddle. Thanks. Exciting. Now, as you are not a usual co-host, tell us what brings you here to this episode. <laughs> what brings me to this episode is our amazing Tamara Kelly. Um, I met her through She Recovery, which is a virtual summit. And she is here to tell her story and she's incredible and amazing it's gonna be great yeah and um a beautiful episode uh just talking about um just straightforward you know what i mean like just real about it and uh one thing that i love that she shared and said is just all of the things that relate to all of us that are in the struggle you know and, mm-hmm. and i'm always i always feel a little bit unprepared as you know cassie that i'm like i'm I'm not a woman and I haven't been a woman who's struggled and, and I'm worried like that. I, I don't know what to say or connect. And it just reminded me again, that really we're actually just all humans. Yeah. And as she was sharing her story, how much of a common thread I felt um, and connected to her. And I, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. She brings so much grace to the conversation. Um, she has so much grace for herself and, I just, you know, talking with her and hearing her story, I feel like just through her words, I have felt more grace for myself, for other people. Just, she just has such a beautiful heart. Amen to that. And so if you're just joining us uh, here at Unashamed and Afraid, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so um, we create scholarships along with just sharing our message of hope. We create scholarships and reach out on social media and do a lot of different things, um, resources to help people in recovery. So if you're in need of a scholarship, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarship um, and see what's available. It's changing all of the time. Um, if you'd like to become an outsider, our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. So those are people who donate and become a part of our movement and not only donate, but do so many things to help spread the message of hope and reach out. We have a team of 20 volunteers, um, many of which you started as outsiders. And so we would love for you to join in whatever way you want to and can um, of this message of hope with us. And so you can follow, find us at so in social media at unashamed and afraid, unashamed and afraid.com. We give us five stars on iTunes. So the rest of the world can find us. And with that, we will get in the studio with Tamara. Tamara, how are you doing tonight? Well, thank you. Awesome. Miss Cassie, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to, to be doing this with you guys. So happy that Tamara's here. So, Tamara, tell us how you got here with us. Cassie brought me, we met through She Recovery, the conference that was last year. Seems so long ago, but <laughs> we met through She Recovery. And we just messaged back and forth. And then she sent me her episode and she sent me another episode. And she was like, would you like to be a part? And I was like, yes, I I would. I would like to be a part. So Cassie is the one who is the person who brought me here tonight. Awesome. And tell us about She Recovery for those who don't know, but should know. So She Recovery stands for Support, Heal, Empower. And it deals with inappropriate sexual behavior. So whether that's touch, watching porn, masturbation, it's for men, women, and teens, pastoral leaders. If you want to learn more about how to talk to your congregation about church, they have a component for that. And it was just a week-long conference with different speakers and different panels where you could just openly talk about 
any type of addiction, same-sex addiction, porn. We had a man who was a former porn star who's now the pastor. Like it was just so many different stories that you could just glean from and get a lot of knowledge about it. I'm fairly new. I didn't know some of the words. So I learned a lot of terminology, you know, surrounding porn and porn addiction. Yeah. And next year when they hold it, we are definitely going to be advertising that and connecting people with that because I'm just lucky that I found it. Such an incredible resource. So look out for that this year, everybody. Yeah. it's. I, oh. found, I just ran up on it the same way. You know, I was just scrolling and then I found She Recovery. So, and then I was just fortunate also to be able to speak there. So that was pretty cool, you know, to be able to share my story through the platform also. Yeah. So awesome. It's a virtual resource and it's free. It's just incredible. They, how many speakers do you think they had, Tamara? Like, so she sent us all of everybody's session. It ended up being fifty-three. Wow! Yeah, fifty-three speakers, and the majority women. Um, which is incredible because that was the first time I'd come across that sort of resource, and that's pretty incredible. The girl who put it together. Her name is Crystal. And I never know how to say her last name. Renault. Renault. Okay. Renault. And some people might be familiar with, it's called Dirty Girls Ministry. An interesting name, but a really awesome, awesome girl. And she recovery is pretty awesome. So yeah, everybody look out for that next year. So that's how you got here. Yep. Now, my question on your heart is, why are you here sharing on the podcast? Well, I, I think it's twofold. Number one, I really, it, I'm a, I'm a, I feel like I'm a servant leader at heart. I really want to see, like, when I'm struggling with something and I learn a way to overcome it, I want everybody <laughs> to overcome it. I want everybody to do it or be better or be, you know what I'm saying, be empowered. And sometimes that's, a bad thing because I can want something for someone more than they want for themselves. But that's another reason why I'm here is to let people know or let women know you're not alone. You're not alone. I was in full-time ministry at church. I served next to the first lady. I sat in the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? So I was the epitome of church girl, you know, and than dealing with this behind closed doors. And I just want people to know you're not alone. And then number two, it helps me to stay accountable. I don't want to be saying one thing and living something else. And I found that with this, me helping other people and then having that support helps me to continue to, to move forward. And I never thought in one million years that I would ever say I'm addicted to pornography I never <laughs> never I I thought I was gonna take this to the grave honest honest sure honest sure I relate with that so so hard <laughs> that double identity and just you know living two lives and just all the fear and shame around that yeah so when God gave me the name porn I was you want me to like call it that you want me to call it porn Private Obsession Recovery Network, just to even say that. It took me months to even put that out there that this is what I was doing. So, yeah. That is so interesting. Could you tell us more about that? Like, coming up with the name porn? That is really interesting. I'm bold. It was not me. I I really, I truly believe that 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 came from God. Um, I journal a lot. I write a lot. And um, that was it. It just he just said porn, and I wrote down because I'm I'm very big on acronyms. So that's me, the teacher in me. You know, I always taught my students, you know, to learn things with acronyms. So I wrote it down, and then maybe a couple of days later, he broke it down to me what it would stand for, and I was like, "That's pretty cool." Wow. But you want me to say that? <laughs> like, you want me to say that that is me, a part of me? So, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a couple of months struggle to finally just to say it. Wow. 
That is so cool. So tell us where your story started. Tell us what life like was growing up, how you got introduced. Um, growing up, I'm the youngest of three. So when I was born, my siblings were all in high school. So 16, 15, 14 years older than me. Um, so I was a bit of a surprise <laughs> to my parents. Um, and I was, I was molested by a family member at like six years old. And he would, I didn't know then what it was called, but he was grooming me um, to do it to like my other, my younger nieces and nephews. So he told us that this is how the family show love. And so that went on for about three years. And I think it was the day I was like nine and we, we were coming out of the closet and the look on my uncle's face, I think that's when the light bulb went off. Like, this is not normal. Like, this is not what families do. And um, I remember after that, I didn't see him for a long time. So like around eighth grade, I was at a friend's house because I went to school. My mom ended up putting me in Catholic school when I was in the sixth grade. So I would go down the street to the friend's house until she got off work and she got into her father's stash or his porn stash one day and she put it on and I was just so disgusted. I was like, this is gross. I don't know how you guys watch this, blah, 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 blah. And they, of course they teased me because they were like, you're such a baby. <laughs> you're such a baby. But, you know, I was just always that kind of good girl, you know, Um and so I never entertained it after that. That was just like the last time was when I was like in eighth grade. But then I got into um, my last relationship with my ex and it was, I'm gonna call it a situationship mm -hmm. because he was going back and forth between me and another girl. And he had shared once that they watched porn together. And so when he left, I was like, maybe that's why he left, you know, because maybe I'm not doing the right, you know, I'm not doing the right things. So that's when the door opened up where I kind of started like, I'm, I'm like studying it because I'm, I knew he was going to come back. So I'm like, when he comes back this time, I'm going to be so much better and he's never going to leave. But obviously that's not true, but that's what I believed in my mind. So that's kind of where it started. Yeah. So in those in those growing up years, like as you entered that relationship, like what was your understanding of your sexuality, your place in the world with sex? Um, be seen, not heard, kind of that that type of thing, you know. Um, that was just my mother always told me I talked too much. <laughs> she always said I was too, you know, just. I was like the black sheep of my siblings because I was the more independent. Like I'm more independent than my sisters. Um, when things don't work, I'm always problem solving to come. You know what I'm saying? Like I may get down for a while, but eventually I'm going to bounce back. And when I bounce back, I'm back. You know what I mean? So she's always kind of, I guess, chastised me, me for that. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of double edged because when we had like our heart to heart, she said she was proud of me, but at the same time, she just said she just doesn't understand me. Like she doesn't understand how I can just keep persevering because I've been through some pretty, you know, bad situations. And she's just like, I just don't get where you get that from. Like, I don't know that didn't come from me. That's, you know, that's what she always says. So um, it was, just, I was mm -hmm. just always just seeing that hurt. Yeah, and so in your in in that growing up years time, family went to church. God was in the picture, not in the picture. Tell us what that was no. like for you. No, my mom. Um, now my brothers and sisters grew up in the church because that they, they grew up during that time when the grandmother was in the home, um, and it was more of like the family unit. But my parents, my mom and my dad, didn't go to church, and my mom like made me go to like Catholic school and we were at one point we were Catholic um, and I didn't really get that. I didn't really understand that. So I was sure. to my boyfriend at the time lived down the street. So I would go to the early service and go get a bulletin 
and then go to his house and park in the backs because she would drive past his house going to church to see if I was there. And then I would go home and I would have a uh-huh. like that was that was church for me. So who was God to you then? Um, a wizard, a magician, mm-hmm. like a genie in a bottle. Yeah. When you were down, you cried out to him to make it better. And then once he made it better, like it was better. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Once it was better, it was good. So yay, praise God. That's kind of what he, you know, what he was to me. And I, I only went to him when I was in need. So what about your relationship with your dad? Like, can you tell us about that? Yeah, my dad, my dad passed in 2003. Um, and growing up, my dad wanted a boy. He wanted another son because I'm the only child. He has, he had two children and I'm the only one that he raised in the home. But because I wasn't a boy, I didn't know my, he was there. I mean, I got to do so many things like other children didn't get to do, you know, um, modeling, dance, acting, like just a lot of things kids on my block couldn't do. Um, He put me, he was financially, you know, he provided for me financially, but emotionally he wasn't there. And then my mother lost her eye at, um, when I was 17. And so he had to step in and be like the emotional support. And I remember us going to him driving me to high school and every day, I would just drive in silence. And then when we would get to drop off, I would just get out of the car and just slam the door like as hard as I could, you know? And then um, one day I just asked him, you know, how I was kind of, I was angry at him because I felt like I'm almost an adult and now you want to be dad to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need you anymore. (laughs) You know, I don't need you now. I needed you then and you weren't there. So, um, but I, I needed him. You know, I still needed him. That little girl in me still wanted her daddy. Yeah. And I got back in the car. And when I got back in the car the afternoon, my dad was very macho. Like, just the epitome of masculinity. So you never really saw him cry. You never really, he was just always like, just tough, you know, very funny, but very tough. And he got back in the car. And when I got back in the car that afternoon, he just looked at me and he said he was sorry. And he broke down and started crying. And I think it was at that moment that my dad and I started to form a relationship until he passed. But for those 17 years, I had my cousin's husband, but it it wasn't the same. It was, he wasn't my dad. You know what I mean? It just, it just wasn't the same. So. Wow. So, Tell us about, we're kind of looping back into the story when you, you know, had the relationship situation and you're like, I know he's coming back and you're like, okay, I can, I can maybe, you know, step, step into this porn thing or try that on. What happened at that point in your story? Um, I tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> it, it didn't work. Um, he continued to go back and forth. Um, I continue to feel worthless, you know, continue to devalue myself. Well, when we got together, I already knew that we shouldn't have been together. First of all, there was a huge age gap, 10 year age gap. Um, but he had been like pursuing me since he was like 15. I was 25 and he thought, but he was dealing with, I didn't know at the time, he was the reason he was so aggressive towards older women is because he had been raped um, by some girls. So he was still, and he was, no, I'm not going to say that. He Well, he was shorter too. So he kind of had little man syndrome too. And then that, you know, on top of that, it was a lot. And I didn't know he was just, he just always thought he was older than what he was. So it was like, we both were broken people. Um, And it just got worse. It just, and the more I took him back, the more disrespectful he became. Um, And then I just decided like, this is it. I I can't do it anymore. 
But even after we broke up, I still continue with pornography mm -hmm. and masturbation and masturbation. I still continue with that. So what eventually led to or like what was your your breaking like your turning point or like your your rock bottom like what what is the worst of the worst that led to that seeking change i think it was because my i guess my porn viewing had got more graphic mm -hmm. like more violent more just the total opposite of it was so far from what God says sex should be. Right. And um even watching it, even though I was, you know, getting the in dopamine and all, you know what I'm saying, getting the arousal, like literally afterward I would be like sick. <laughs> like my you know, I would feel like I have to throw up all day. I would carry a headache. I just didn't feel like myself. And so I was like, I, I need to do something about this. Because like I said, it just started to get more graphic, like as it kept going on. It just yeah, it just got more graphic. Right. So what did you try and do about it? Oh, uh, just stop. <laughs> Tried to just stop. I'm like, I'm just not gonna watch this anymore. I'm done. And then I would go on for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and then something would trigger me at the time i didn't know it was called a trigger but something would trigger me either stress um my mother um job any anything would just trigger me and i i what i discovered is i would go i didn't respond to it like right when i'm triggered i may not respond to it that day so i get stressed that day i may not watch it that day i let it just build mm -hmm. so it may be it seemed to be like on a seven day cycle once I started paying attention to it. But my first thing was just to stop cold turkey. I didn't think about going to God. I didn't think about getting in a program because I honestly thought I can just quit. It's not, you know, it's not like drugs. You know, I can just, I don't need a 12 step program. I don't need a plan for this. I can just stop. That's what I really honestly believe. I could just stop. So at this point, what was your um, religious life like? What did that look like? So I was still going to church. Um, I was still, you know, reading the word. I was still doing it, but I didn't have, when we started talking about like our hearts, having the heart of God, you know, and realizing we were going through Exodus and talking about how Pharaoh, you know, the Israelites would get mad at Aaron and Moses and they would murmur and complain. But if you keep reading in there, it, it says where God tells them they're not murmuring and complaining against you. They're murmuring and complaining against me. And that just blew my mind like that. My heart was I'm thinking it's I'm hurting one thing, but I'm actually my actions are actually separating me from him. So that's when I kind of started to get deeper into figuring out what I can do to really get over it. It was a heart. We I think we called it. We were studying like it was heart issues because we did like the threefold nature of man. We started with like all the senses, and then but when we got to the heart, that just it, it hurt me, <laughs> you know, just to know that this would keep me from really having the relationship I thought I had with God. Mm. This was separating what I really truly desired. Yeah. Wow. So uh, one question I have for you, which is, uh, as I often say, there's curiosities for me. So um, Cassie and I have talked a lot about this because I feel like there's just a general layer of shame of like, don't tell anyone you do this that, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. I'm, you know, whatever. Um, and particularly in church, right? Because you feel this some there's some cultural perfectionism where I've been going to church and where, you know, different things. And Cassidy, I've talked about almost like a double layer of that because we all kind of are like, yeah, men struggle with porn. It's a man thing and whatever. And Cassidy, I've talked about for her experience, like there's this double layer of shame being a woman. And so I'm curious what your felt experience was getting active in 
in church community and participating, like you talked about earlier, how, what did shame look like for you dealing with this? Um, it was, I think it, mine took place more at home. So I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on in my head. Like now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, like once I opened my apartment door, stepped out, I was clean. Like, <laughs> but behind closed doors, I was avoiding mirrors. I was taking showers in the dark. I was not opening my blinds. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't, you know, I, everything was done without light in my living space. But once I, I guess, presented myself to the world, I was, an, I was normal. I didn't feel shame. And I, that's weird. I didn't think about that until now, but I didn't, I didn't didn't feel shame. All my shame took place behind closed doors. Well, I I relate to that because for me, it was just a dual life. I just put one in one box and one in the other. So, you know, and as a pastoral leadership, I'm like, of course, Jesus saves and we're all healed no matter the issue. And sure, we can talk about porn or we can talk about sex or and here's the deal and whatever because i was just so closed off to my heart like you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. well i didn't even realize that i did that i just wow okay Tamara, could you tell us again what your pastor said about the secret life yeah um she was saying that we come to church and we present one way and then she said if we followed you home and you know god put your life on a, a movie screen would you be ashamed or proud of what we saw and i immediately froze you know but i kept that straight face because <laughs> i was in public but i immediately froze and was just like i wouldn't want them to know that i watch pornography and i'm dealing with masturbation like i that would be the thing. And that was the kind of the opening up of me getting more aggressive and wanting to get delivered and get healed. Yes. So what, what has your recovery journey looked like? Um, what has it looked like? It, it looks like it's been all over the place. <laughs> it looked like, you know, like, um, I think the biggest thing that I've held on to is to stay with the struggle. Um, mm-hmm. They talked about the for one of the first lessons that you do in Covenant Eyes. They talk about don't be ashamed to struggle with pornography. Like a lot of people, they say, well, you know, when people say I'm struggling, it's usually meaning that they're giving into it and not changing the pattern. But they were saying to re, you know, change your mindset and think of the struggle as being, I'm going to deal with this every day, no matter how it comes. Um, and that was mind blowing to me, you know, because when, when you think of struggle, you think of something bad, you know what I'm saying? But they were saying, contend with it, you know, seek it out, you know, whatever you whatever you feel, deal with that. Don't be afraid to struggle. Because when you bury it, that's when it implodes and gets bigger. You know what I'm saying? But if you continue to wrestle with it, eventually you will get control of it. Um, And I think the biggest one, my mom is a big trigger. Mm. What was a big trigger for me when I first started going down uh, and getting into recovery. She she deals with um, paranoia. It's untreated. And um, so her thinking is just different, you know, it's just different. And I feel there's some resentment towards me because of her relationship with my dad. Um, I don't, I'm not gonna say she doesn't love me, but it's something about me, (laughs) something, it's very much something about me that, like I said earlier, just. This rubs her the wrong way from time to time. And um, we were all day. I had, uh, we were just arguing 
I was trying to help her do things and all day we were just arguing and I've gone to the car wash many times and I got in the car wash and we were arguing and I knocked my car from neutral to drive and I hit the car in front of me. And I think just that not a lot of damage was done, but just that big boom, like woke me up and I called my God mom and I told her what happened. And I just remember just, just my body was just like, shaking like the meltdown was happening so the next thing was i'm gonna go in the house i'm gonna watch porn i'm gonna masturbate like you know what i'm saying like the the, all the signals were going and i remember just sitting in the car crying and it just poured down raining really hard so that i couldn't get out of the car and i just sat there and i just cried and i just cried and i just cried and then it stopped raining and then the sun came out and i was like that was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was an emotional response to lead up to, you know, the me acting out, to lead up to me acting out. I felt all the same triggers, the same arousal, the same everything. But I knew that I had to do something different because I didn't want to keep doing it. So my, my thing was to cry, <laughs> was to cry. I did a lot of crying. I've done a lot of crying. I've done a lot of just getting up and walking around my apartment. My apartment is not even big, but I'll just get up and walk around to just kind of shift my brain um, to do something else. I'll call my accountability partner. But it just seems to me it's just been messy. Like, I, if that makes sense, it's just. Oh, definitely. Every day it's just <laughs> something. Every day it's just something. No, that's so weird because like everyone else we've had on there, it's just like a straight line. Recovery is just kind of tick, tick, tick. And so, um, yeah, that's weird. You know, everyone else has kind of got it done that we've listened to. I mean, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. But right, right. What I love about what you're sharing is um, how did you maintain hope in that messiness? Because there, there is a messiness to recovery it's not this like always like a step forward and an inch back and a step. So how have you maintained kind of your hope and, and desire to move forward and grow in God? Like how have you stayed through the messiness of it? This has got to happen next and then this, and then this, because I'm going to be honest, I was panicking about this experience because I didn't get the um, like for real confirmation till two days ago, then I didn't get, you know what I mean? Like everything, I thought it was just gonna be boom, boom, boom. So it was, it, it's been hard for me to wrap myself around it not going in a straight line is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I've gotten comfortable with just being honest with God or with my accountability partner or with my Facebook group, just being honest and saying where I am helps me instead of trying to hide it and bury it. Like it's not happening, confronting it and saying, you know, that really upset me that offended me that this, I don't like, you know what I'm saying? Like saying those quote unquote negative things or just being open enough to say them has really helped me to like, maintain hope because it kind of cleans you out you know like when you confess you kind of the juices get flowing again once you get out of those emotions so that's been a big help for sure yeah for sure so what do you feel are are the greatest things you've done to bring god into your recovery uh confession is one definitely confession um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I do read. I still feel like I don't. I read the Bible or my word, but I still feel like I can read it more. But it has increased since I have started recovery. Um, I guess I listen more. Um, my obedience is better. <laughs> it's better than it was. It's better, but it, it could be better than what it is. But I am open to hear his voice more now. You know, um, 
when the scriptures talks about selfish ambition, I lived selfish ambition. That's been my whole life. I've had a plan. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And and I'm just believing that God is gonna bless that. But none of those things have happened in my life. You know, since I was 14, I'm supposed to be married by 25, having my, you know, been married by 21, having my first kid at 25, having another, like my life, <laughs> I have strategically planned what my life was going to look like and it doesn't. So I think one of the biggest things is just listening to his voice, being willing to yield and hear his voice more. That's been a big part of recovery for me. So just kind of building on that question earlier, you said that God, you know, before recovery was this like a wizard, you know, um, what is he to you now? My friend, (laughs) my friend, um, he, I've been studying like the names of God learning, um, instead of just calling him God or Lord, you know, saying his name, which is Adonai, Yah, Yahweh, Elohim, you know what I'm saying? Like knowing him by name um, is important to me because you know your friends by name, you know? So why wouldn't you, why shouldn't I know him by name? So he's a friend, he's a provider. I just love him. (laughs) I just, I just, I do. I really, I love him. Can you tell us more about that friendship? Like, what is he like? You know, what what is it like to be friends with God now? It's, it's different because I've looked for friendship in other people. I've looked for validation for so long. But to be in a friendship where I can just be myself, you know, whatever that looks like, and... Mm-hmm still be loved, you Mm -hmm. know, not be shut out, (laughs) not be let go of or blocked, (laughs) you know, that's the big thing, blocking you or whatever, (laughs) to to not have to experience that. It's good. It's made me feel very content. Because, you know, when the pandemic came in, I lost a lot of people, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people who I thought were my friends. Like that separation really revealed. He allowed me to see finally who they really were to me. So, yeah. So another big one that I feel like you've done a good job in your recovery is that you're talking is, is and, and segueing right into what you're saying is like filtering in and finding some good community. And so what would you give advice wise, um, particularly for women struggling to find community. Cause I, I feel like that's the number one indicator of whether or not you're going to recover. Like if you give me any person working recovery, my first question will be, what does your community look like? Cause the bigger, more powerful, more connected your community to me, the likelihood of success and recoveries and you know, the healing is going to happen. And so what have you found? Like you've had some great success getting on the other side right of the pandemic and some community for you, what advice would you give? Um, The biggest thing is smaller is not necessarily bad. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we look for these big, big signs, big, you know, a whole crowd of people, a whole slew of people. So it must be great if there's this many people, but that doesn't always mean that it's great for you. Um, I've noticed because I'm not even in, my same church. I don't think if I was at the church that I used to go to, I would be where I am. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I'm in um, a smaller community, um, a safe space, definitely finding a safe space where people genuinely love God. Therefore, they can love you. You know, um, that's important to me because even though the people in my community may not have experienced or are experiencing what I have experienced. I can genuinely tell that they are, that they love God. You know what I mean? Like we all have our issues, you know, but at the root of the community that I'm in, I can genuinely tell that they love God and therefore their love for me is genuine. 
And I never would have thought that, like, these people are not even people that I would, like, normally hang with. You know what I mean? Like, these are, like, it's totally, totally different. Like, it's totally different. So I would say find a a safe place with people who genuinely love God so they can love you. And don't look for something that's so huge that you get lost in not getting your needs met, honestly. Yeah. So as we kind of turn the corner here to start to wrap the episode, what do you think is most important in particular for women to know about working recovery? That they're not alone. That was huge. I did. I thought I, I mean, when I started diving into recovery, I, because all the reasons, I mean, covenant eyes, you know, women can use it, but the majority of some of their content is very male dominated. Um, so I just thought that I, I was like, I'm well, never. And I would say that's true of the whole recovery world. I mean, I yeah. think still the narrative of the, even the recovery world is, this is a man issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just knowing that they're not alone and that there are other women who are struggling and dealing with the same thing. You know, that's the that's the biggest thing because I, I just I didn't expect to find she recovery. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. When I found it, I was like, I am not the only one. <laughs> like, I am not the only woman who you know, deals with this. I don't know why it's so, why sex is so taboo for women. You know, like we don't have sexual desires or feelings or, you know, anything like that. It makes me think about Samantha from Sex in the City. Have you guys ever seen that show? I haven't, sorry. Oh, am I dating myself? Am I telling my age? <laughs> <laughs> It's, well, okay, well, <laughs> she was like... Don't act like y'all haven't seen it. Don't act like y'all haven't seen it. Right, like, you we haven't know seen, that you've seen it. Come you haven't on seen now. Sex in the City? That show was part of my shame script, so I heavily avoided it. Oh, I, okay. I, instead of, I, I watched Porn in Secret, but I avoided watching that show. Okay. <laughs> well, Sex Samantha... Okay, she was like my hero, <laughs> honestly, because she owned her sexuality, whether right, wrong, or indifferent. She owned her sexuality, mm-hmm. and I thought that was just so empowering, you know, back in that day, <laughs> in the 1990s, <laughs> in the 1900s, right? The 1900s. I thought that was so just empower, you know, empowering. And so as I noticed, like, as I got older, I, I took on those characteristics. You know, I'm not going to love. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to fall in love. Sex is just sex. Like, this is this is that. But I don't know why it's so taboo for a woman to. I mean, we give birth. We, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you're not planting the seed in the ground. So I don't know. I don't know why it's so why it's so boring. I don't I don't know, but I really thought I was the only one. So I would just let want women to know that you're not alone. Just find um, the community that's right for you, because you're not alone. Amen. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And so, as as we wrap our episode, Tamara, we always ask guests to give us a song. You know, a song that just represents their heart right the newfound change their recovery story so if you had a song for your recovery mm-hmm. um tasha cobb's gracefully broken even though i have been broken a lot <laughs> and continue to be broken daily you know god does it in love he's not breaking me to destroy me he's breaking me to make me better so it's that would be my song, Gracefully Broken. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and for Thank sharing you. your heart and your story with us. If people want to find you in your platform, where do they go? Um, I have a Facebook group. It is for women only, um, single and married women. 
It's called a private obsession recovery network. It's on Facebook, or you can go to my website. It's www.tamara-kelly.com. And it's all information there on how you can connect, join the group, find out other information. It's all there. And I'm assuming that that will also give us information on your book that you wrote. Yes, yes. Um, the, I wrote two, two books. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is just My Journey to Wholeness and a New Beginning. So that kind of chronicled like 12 years of my life, like the traumas that I went through and how I was over, over, overcome. That's what was written in 2016. But I procrastinated and it took me 10 years to write it. <laughs> when I sat down and finally write, to write it, I wrote it in three months. So um, that's what happened in 2016. And then I wrote a second one called uh, Unbreakable. And I just break down why um, uh, God revealed to me that I'm unbreakable. Because cha- that's what he changed my name to, is um, Unbreakable. Love that. So we'll talk more about that in the bonus episode. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Uh, information in the show notes to find Tamara to join the group. We hope you do and reach out to her. Um, and so just thanks for being here with us and, and listening. And whether you're a man or a woman, whoever's struggling, we just want you to know, here's another voice, that you're not alone. And so totally can follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, that's how the world judges and populates which podcast ends up in the search bar. Um, if you were in need of a scholarship, uh, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships and apply there. You are worthy and we would love to help you out. And if you'd like to become an outsider and join us in this bonus content with Tamara and hear more about the books and anything else that she wants to soapbox in and, and all of our extra questions we had on the team from the episode, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. And so join us, be one of our outsiders. Our outsiders are the ones who are helping us build this movement, who are doing so many things to build their recovery communities. And our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. So thank you for listening and being with us. And until we meet again, continue to be unashamed. And with that, we will leave you with Tasha Cobbs, Gracefully Broken. God will break you to position you, break you to promote you, and break you to put you in your right place. But when he breaks you, he doesn't hurt you. He doesn't... When he breaks you, he doesn't destroy you. He does it with grace. Ah! Anybody been gracefully broken? Where? Ooh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So, Father, tonight we're broken before you. Thank you for handling us with grace. Just lift your worship right there in this moment.
Pouring out my life gracefully. 